0: has been paid for by the WZWA Network.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WCWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California, in Fury. It's a joy to be with you all once again. And speaking of a joy, you know me, everyone. You know me. You know I love talking to anybody that wrestled for WCW, my favorite wrestling company. And right here, right now, I get to speak to a legend of World Championship Wrestling, one of the best One of my favorites, the one, the only, Mr. Scotty Riggs. How are you, sir?
0: Doing good, my friend. How are you? All the way in WZWA land, if you will.
1: (laughs) I'm doing great, my friend. And and I'm in a great mood because I have the opportunity to talk to you and, and learn a bit about your journey in life, Scotty. And the first question on the show, as per usual, I'm sorry, you've probably been asked this many times, but before you got in the business, how did you become a wrestling fan?
0: Wow, that's, uh, that's actually pretty easy. I mean, um, I grew up, uh, my dad, I guess I was about maybe eight years old. I started really getting involved in sports, and he always kind of watched wrestling. So I kind of started watching with him. And uh, I started becoming a Dallas Cowboys fan about the same time. And in Savannah, Georgia, where I grew up, the nwa Middle atlantic championship wrestling which was big back in you know the mid to late 70s uh before it became royal championship wrestling all the good stuff that you were bragging about at the start of it but um yeah i grew up basically uh going to that in six or twice a month they come every other saturday or actually every other uh sunday they would come and we would me and my dad get ringside front row ringside seats in the good guys corner and the funny part is, uh, around the corner from where we used to live, um, had a police officer who used to work those events. And so he started letting me get the ring ropes. So some of the first earliest ring robes I got were like Ricky Steamboat, Paul Jones, like Mulligan, he used to get his big cowboy hat. And above all, Ric Flair, him and Greg Valentine. So here I am, an eight-year-old kid back in the 70s, getting Ric Flair's ring robes. like my first introduction to him and then as time went on i got shared a square circle with the man and a a couple of late night bars so that had a blast (laughs) so that's kind of how i got into it my dad pretty much you know made the the whole atmosphere it was just a blast
1: oh that's really cool and uh you know it's something eight years old you're you're a fan back then obviously the bug bites you at that point, uh, did, was it always within you? You always wanted to get into the business, uh, from, from, you know, that early age.
0: I don't know if I wanted to get really into, you know, actually wrestling at that age yet. I was a huge fan of it, but I was playing, you know, sports, I was playing football, American football, I was playing basketball, baseball, uh, pretty much just staying in sports 24 seven. And, Basically, went to college on a uh, football scholarship and played uh, Division two football. That's the, the second level here in the States. And um, pretty much, huh, I don't know if you want to get into it this quick, but uh, when I was in high school, everybody knew I was a wrestling fan. When I got into college and in my dorm room, I used to have a picture of the Road Warriors, uh, Magnum TA up in the wall, just because they were badasses, you know? So you said, Oop, can I say that?
1: Yes,
0: they of asked. Course. Yeah. Okay. Just making sure just before I start, you know, I don't want to drop an f bomb on the show and not be like <laughs> okay. also, music. That was Scotty Riggs. We had a nice time talking to him. <laughs> but um but uh, and the funny thing when I was in college still, um Friday nights before games, we used to have to stay in the dorm. We have to be in the in our rooms by I think it was like nine o'clock. And there was a station that carried wrestling eight hours on a Friday night. Start at 8 o'clock at night, and we're going to like two, 4 o'clock in the morning. So we eight hours of wrestling box of every different little thing from USWA to the stuff out of Texas with the Von Erichs to uh, Florida Championship Wrestling, the Mid-Atlantic Championship, Georgia, all that good stuff, and even AWA and, and some WWF stuff. And so basically, we would sit back And about five or six, maybe seven guys would come in my room and watch wrestling with us. And so uh, that was kind of my continuation of being a fan, but never thought I would be one. So, Um, I mean, it was something, you know, I I want to be involved in sports and stuff like that, but never thought I would actually pursue being a wrestler.
1: Right. So uh, how did you find your way into the business then? And and, and, and how was training under Ted Allen? I mean, uh, during those times, h- how would you even figure out how to get into the business at that point?
0: Well, see, this is back um, 1991. Late 91, there was a the school I went to was in Carrollton, Georgia, right so outside of Atlanta, to the west of it, between Atlanta and Birmingham. And there was this little rinky-dink town that ran wrestling. That's where I met Ted actually. And so one night, a couple of guys and myself were like, "Hey, let's go watch the wrestling matches." But the snowstorm had hit that night. But not really was was hitting, but it hadn't hit yet. And so we went to it, and they canceled the show. But there were five or six of the wrestlers that were hanging out in the back, and that's where I met Ted Allen. And Ted saw this young, you know, kid good looking body athlete, you know, type stuff. So we start talking to all with big wrestling fam. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, um, I train guys here, on um, Wednesday nights, Saturday afternoons. And then we have shows Saturday nights. Why don't you come next Wednesday? We'll see what you can do. So he basically invited me to come start training with him. And I think Ted just, cause he had trained Arne Anderson, uh, Ranger Ross, um, referee uh Randy Anderson. So he was all influential with in those guys' careers and a few other guys. And so basically he I guess he's saw some potential in just looking at me and talking to me. And so that's kind of how I got my actually in into the business. I started going to every other Wednesday, every Saturday, I started watching some of the shows at this place and they were pretty good little thing. They maybe get a hundred people to a crowd back then, which is not bad. It's Small, little, unique place, and uh, I had my first match February 6th of 92, and it was a guy named Lee Thomas, and we basically, as time went on, ended up becoming tag team partners and did really good together, but we basically wrestled each other, I think it was three or maybe four straight Saturdays, basically had the same exact match, because we didn't know any better. Except we wore different trunks, different you know, different boots or different tights, different you know, whatever. But we basically went up there to the exact same thing. I don't, and the fans don't think even noticed. So it's kind of <laughs> kooky. But that was my 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 end into the business then. And of course, like a lot of the guys, I started traveling with Ted. I would wrestle him in other towns around Georgia and into South Carolina and stuff, and into Alabama. And he would basically train me in the ring. He wore a mask, so he would sit there, and I wouldn't have to say a word. I just listen. just clean my ears and listen because he was a 20 year veteran, if not more at the time. So basically he sat there and would call him a spot or call a couple moves. We go into a couple of things in the match and we do something and he'd be sitting there and like, say I have an arm bar and he'd be sitting there going, can you hear him? You hear how they reacted? Keep listening to how they react to what we do. This is what we're going to do next. And he just taught me and trained me in the ring, listen to a crowd learning to the psychology of listening to what they like, what they don't like. He'd call something that I think he knew would suck. And, and we kind of go through it. And he goes, You hear how they they don't they're not into it that at all? I'm like, Yeah. He goes, Don't ever do that. <laughs> I'd be mean, like, okay. And so that's really how we tell. that's how a lot of guys used to really train guys was in the ring, in front of a crowd, and you learn on the fly. You learn by listening. You know, and that was that's like um I guess one of the best ways to that everybody really can think of is like when Ric Flair trained Sting to be Sting. He told him that at one match, Clash of Champions, we did like a forty-five minute uh, yeah. Broadway, you know, draw, and that's where he learned to be Sting. All he did was listen to Flair. Flair called the whole match forty-five minutes in the ring in front of a crowd on live TV. What a better way to learn, you know. And that's how you learn the business. You learn from Flair. who learned that same way from a lot of other people.
1: Right. That's really cool. Interesting stuff. Learning how you, you, I guess, you started to figure out your way uh, through uh, the wrestling business. And uh, I I, I did some deep research here into your career, Scotty. And uh, early in your career, because you're mentioning February of 92 was when your first match was. uh, And I noticed June of 93 on the 9th of June, Working as Scott Stud, you worked WCW Saturday Night at the Civic Center in Lake Charles, Louisiana, against Stephen Regal. Uh, in, in my research, this is the first time you wrestled for WCW. I could be wrong; the research can be wrong sometimes. But uh, was this the first? That sounds uh, about right. It was about ninety three. Yeah. TVs. Yeah. Right. Cool. So, uh, how was your kind of first experience there, and and being so early into the wrestling business? You know, how did you get an opportunity of of, of this magnitude working for WCW?
0: Even, hey, this, this is the insanity of pro wrestling in a sense. And 92 is when I started in, that was in, right outside of Atlanta in Carrollton, Georgia. Not, but maybe three or four months after that, I graduated college and moved to Atlanta. And when I moved to Atlanta, that's where a lot of the wrestlers lived. I mean, i say 75% of the boys lived there at that time. Cause that's where TBS was, you know, WCW is another banner now. They did a lot of their TV tapings at center stage and they had the power plant down on the South, south side of Atlanta. And so, huh, Main Event fitness was a gym that all the boys worked out at because Lex and Sting owned the gym together. And so if you kind of wanted to get to know the boys and get them to get to know you, you know, the stars you see on TV get to know you. As a nobody, really, just starting, just like they did at one point, you learn your, you learn your craft, you learn your trade, you learn your art by getting to know the older guys and getting them to know you a little bit. And so, basically, I started going to the gym there. I met Bagwell at the time I was there, Steiner's, McFoley, uh, DDP, Sting and Lex, and some of the guys. And basically, one of the guys I was listening for a promoter had a karate school, Marietta which was 10 minutes from their gym. And he had a wrestling ring in the back of their karate school. So I told Paige about it. I said, you know, and instead of going all the way down to, you know, south side of Atlanta, an hour away, come over to the karate school. So one day Paige, Jake Roberts, Brad Armstrong, myself and Steve Riegel, you know, came over to the karate school. And so basically I was Paige's dumb, you know, dummy bag, whatever you want to call it I was a tackling dummy. I was okay. his mannequin to be tossing around and doing this. And, and Jake was working with him on I'm becoming a, you know, Dummy House Page and Regal was working on things with them. And Brad Armstrong was working on things with them. And they actually started taking a little bit of liking because they saw I could do a few things. I was, I was athletic, you know, I could do some things. And Brad Armstrong actually is the one who taught me how to throw a drop kick. I mean, he was wanting the timing, the height, watching when a guy come off the ropes, leap like leapfrog, drop down, drop kick, the timing of everything, but Brad's taught me that. And so basically, I started training a match with Paige, putting a match together, and we went down to the power plant where Jody Hamilton, uh, Sergeant Buddy Parker, some of the other guys were down there, and we did this match, it was about a 20-minute match for Jody Hamilton to see, to kind of, you know, see what Paige was doing, to critique it, because he was already in tight with with uh, with uh, Jonah Hamilton. And Jody comes up to me after the match and says, who the hell are you? Like, what do you mean? He goes, where do you come from? How long have you been in business? You, you know how to do stuff. You're telling me really well. And he really puts stuff over, and Paige interrupts. He goes, Jody, this kid's been in the business a year and a half. if that much at the time. He had a little bit of time on there for me. Joe was like, dude, you want to earn some money? I know he goes, You're young in the business, want to earn some money? I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> I can um he does all the enhancement talent, the guys who, you know, put the stars over, the jobbers, whatever you want to call them. And basically, that's kind of what was my my end to WCW. And basically, Jody told me, he goes, I can't promise you anything, but I can put you in good match. I can let guys see what you can do. Guys who, like, one of my best matches ever was Stone Cold Steve Austin. I was maybe, like I said, about a year and a half in the business. We had a eight, maybe nine minutes for TV. And for a nobody like me to have that much time with, with Steve was unheard of. And the only reason I was in there was because Sam Houston didn't make TV. First, he was going to be there, so he was in there. And then when he didn't make it, Jody put me in there. Then they got a message that he was going to be there shortly. So they took me out. Then they put me back in. I was in and out of the match like four different times. And Steve walks up to me and goes, um, hey, kid, you know how to work a headlock? I said, yeah. because that's what we're going to do. It's okay. A few minutes later, hey, kid, you know how to work an arm? Yeah. Yeah. I know what to do. Call on I know what to do. We're going to work the arm. <laughs> About maybe five minutes, we go into the ring. Hey, kid, you know how to work a leg? Yeah. We're going to work the leg. So he was doing nothing but messing with me to see if I was, you know, I guess he'd heard a few good things from Paige because Paige and, and Steve were good friends then. And so I went up and had this really damn good match with Steve. And Dusty Rhodes was a booker at the time. And so Dusty comes up after the match. I'm blown up sky high. I'm, I can't breathe. I have a really good match with Steve. And Steve comes up in, or uh, Dusty comes up and goes, damn baby, I booked this match. I knew the finish. And you and Steve had me wondering at the very end. And you know, when when Dusty walks up to you as an enhancement guy and puts over your work, that's a, a nice little applause. And, you know, that's a that's a pretty good thing. And so, pretty much after that, I started doing some some house shows. Once a month, I do a local house show run. You know, like somewhere maybe in Georgia or South Carolina. You know, not too far away. And just, you know, I slowly started rolling my craft with those guys. And I started getting a few dark matches on TV where you'd have more time to work. And I actually won a few dark matches. I don't know if you know Rip Rogers, host of Rip yeah. Rogers. He was my first win. And we go out there and um, remember Nick Patrick was, was a ref. And Nick goes, you know what, to finish this kid? I said, no. Nah. He walks out and I hear me in the ring. Walk up to Rip what's the finish? He goes, I'll call it. Okay, cool. And so we would go out there and we have this 10, 15 minute match back for this, that, and the other. And like, all i remember is every time we get a three count, Nick's going down going one, two, is this it? No. And I kick out or he kick out or something like this. And finally I beat him on a sunset flip. I remember Nick going, is this finally it? One, yes, two, three. And he gets his hand <laughs> raised. So, I mean, that's a normal conversation. they are having in the ring with guys who know what they're doing. And I'm sitting here in awe going, this is how they talk, this is how they just chat like no big deal, but you just gotta learn how to do it so they don't really see you doing it. If you're not if you're working a non-televised televised match and you got a camera in your face, you can do that. And that's how I learned that on house shows.
1: Right, awesome. What a journey. That was kind
0: really. of my introduction into WCW.
1: Right, yeah, that's really cool. And uh, you know, you spend you spend quite a bit of time there working from uh, August 93 to mid-1994, uh, because then in 94, you also spent a little bit of time uh, in Smoky Mountain working for Jim Cornette. Got to ask you about working for him. Uh, You've become the Beat the Champ TV champ, uh, and you even worked the gangsters that I saw in my research, New Jack and Mustafa. New
0: Jack uh, was a good friend. That, he was a good friend because we actually, cool. I told you, Lee Thomas, a guy I started wrestling at the start, we became a tag team, and we were actually wrestling New Jack and Mustafa for North Georgia Championship Wrestling a ton of times before they got – we actually worked their tryout match for for uh, uh, Cornet in Marietta, Georgia. At a show there, we put our North Georgia Tag Team titles in line against them, and we had this really good match with them. Dropped, they, we dumped the straps to them, and, and this gave Jim an idea of what they could do. And they pretty much started not too long after that working for Jim. So yeah, um, that's how me and New Jack kind of have a little bit of a tie. And I think, who was my, my partner, Skyfire or something like that.
1: Uh, Skyfire.
0: I think that was his name, something like that. But yeah. they beat the crap out of him, I remember, but they gave me some stuff. And it was because I was friends with those guys. They knew I could work, they knew what I could do, and they didn't want to just, we were friends, they didn't want to just you know eat me up. So we're like, okay, we'll do this, this with you tagging your partner will beat the crap out of him if you come in, do this, this, and this. That I came back and we'll, we'll take the finish of him. Cool, works for me, but um, but yeah, the thing with uh Cornette again, another connection, another crisscross. Again, Jake the Snake was one of the guys that was working with Paige at that when I first started doing that stuff there, and I actually was going to do some shows here and there where I was driving Jake. Because this was when Jake was into all his debauchery, all his drugs, all his stuff that was going on at that time. And his wife, Cheryl, thought I could keep him straight. There's no way you can keep that man straight. I actually went down to Mexico with Jake as his uh, bag man, I guess you say. Because he worked Conan in a cage match in Tijuana, Mexico, when he lost his hair. I don't know if you remember that, when Jake, that in his career. I was down there with Jake and had 15 grand stuffed in my cowboy boots, down my jeans, you know, up in my shirt and my jacket and all the stuff like that. And so that's how I got in with uh, Cornet was Jake told Cornette I could do that 450, uh, two cold Scorpios, uh, 450 Splash. I couldn't do that. <laughs> and so that's when I actually worked at Kendo Nagasaki, the Kendo, the, the mask guy. I was one of the, I was also one of him. So that's kind of how I got me in with him, with Cornette. I basically worked a few house shows here and there and a couple of TVs, basically about a uh, six to eight week period. It was really all I did with Cornette and Smoky Mountain. And I got that beat champ thing on, put on me so they could put it on Brian Anderson, who was always son.
1: Right. So, Interesting. Yeah uh and uh so you know again you know uh another experience there for you and here's another experience that I wanted to bring up uh because in my research this was the only time I saw that you worked uh for the WWF but again the research could be wrong June 7th 95 working uh with gorgeous Georgia 3rd aka the maestro on wrestling challenge in a dark match in Johnstown Pennsylvania um yep So how did this opportunity come about? Because um, one thing I also wanted to ask you about a little bit later on, uh, one of my friends uh, for the YouTube channel that I work for, we were talking about the fact that I only saw that you had this one match. And we thought to ourselves, you know, uh, why was Scotty Riggs never signed to the WWF? Even after your ECW run or after your time in WCW, we really just didn't understand how there the wasn't at least a, a little bit of a run there for you. So uh, please uh, tell me yeah. about your, uh, your experience. It's very
0: kooky how this goes. Um, again, it's another connection. Um, 94 is also when I was in, uh, January of 94, I started in USWA, uh, yeah. Jerry Lawler's territory. And I got actually put there with a little bit of help with Jake. But Arne Anderson, of all people, comes up to me at center stage where we did TV tapings. I was actually out that night. Pulls me aside and kiss, kid, you got a good look. You got ability. You got a great attitude, great work ethic. You need to work on your promos. You need to work on this and that. Because but you need to get out of here. He was Eric Bischoff is about to take over, and you will get stuck. You will get no chance to get any better here because you, you, you need to learn your craft. So whatever you can do to get out of here, do it. So basically, it was in 94, uh, Thanksgiving of 94, um, worked a show in Warner Robbins. That's where Jerry Law was on the show. Gorgeous George is who I wrestled on that show. And Jake was there, and like I said, Jerry Law was on the show. And, and Jake told, you know, Jerry to watch our match. Jerry comes at me afterwards and says, hey, you know, would you, because I like your stuff, like you looked at uh Would you want to come to the USWA Memphis and work? He goes, But here it is. You only make 40 bucks a day. You will, you will wrestle six days a week, twice on Saturday. He goes, I can't promise you anything but experience and exposure. I said, Yes. I, def- I mean, in my own mind, Arn talking to me in center stage is running through my head. He said, Yeah, I'd love to do that. And he goes, okay, Randy Hale, who's the booker at uh, USWA, said oh, he'll get in contact with you. And January 1st, remember I was at uh, Ray Lloyd, it was Glacier, it wasn't Glacier yet, but Ray Lloyd's, apartment. we were watching uh, bowl games. And he was my contact point, basically, because I was kind of like, I was sleeping on his, his sofa, basically, at the time. Well, he had a nice apartment, him and another guy he used to wrestle with. And I will sleep on the sofa, and uh, there'll be another funny story. I'll sleep on his sofa. I'm the world we'll have to tag team champions at the same time. But <laughs> um, his phone rings, and, and it's like, you know, Randy Hale, uh, we'll get you started uh, January 14th, be at Channel 5 in Memphis at, I think it was 7.30 in the morning. He goes, we go live on TV at 10. We'll be done at 10.30, and we'll get you going from there. So okay, cool. So two weeks later, I was in Memphis, and I was there for eight months. During that time, about three or four months into the run there is when Gorgeous George came in, working that gimmick, working the characters when Jerry finally brought him in, and we started working against each other a bunch, and Sid Vicious came in for a few shows, Undertaker came in for a few shows, some other guys, and so we kind of got brought up to be used for some talent for, to put guys over. The first time I went up there, um, they put me as, they needed somebody to take a bump for Mr. Fuji. So they put me as Lex Luger's flag bearer. (laughs) So here I am. He's wrestling Yokozuna for like, I think it was a a qualifying match for, for the Royal Rumble or for King of the Ring. It was a qualifying match for King of the Ring. And I go out there waving the flag, doing the whole nine yards, do the thing where I get, take a chop from Fuji to me, which was cool because I grew up watching Fuji on some of the WWF stuff with him and Mr. Um, uh, Fuji and was it Tanaka? Toru Tanaka was his tag team partner. So, but long story short, that's how I got doing that. And Mike Rotundo, who was their agent at the time, pulled me aside after the thing that said, you're from Atlanta, Lexus from Atlanta. We may do a thing where you become Lexus' protege and we might work that with you. So we're not going to use you putting anybody over, but you can, you know, we are still going to collect you 200 bucks for do each day for doing the TVs and stuff. And so um, that's also when they brought George up for a trap match because his character, they want to see that work. And so that's how that match came up with George. Me and George knew each other. Jay said those guys were wrestling USWA. the USWA. We're out there. They can, they can have a good match. And they all thought it was a, a trial match for me when it was actually a trial match for George. But he was trying some things we had never tried before, like a, a flare flip in the corner, you know, where you go over the top. Da, da, da. And the WF ropes were a little bit higher and they were a bit looser than what you were used to. And so he tried to do the flip and land straight on his head. And so he tried to do a few things where it just did not look good. And I kept going, you sure you want to do this? Because I knew him. I knew Robbie pretty well. His name Robbie Eagle, so I knew him by before the George thing. And he's like, Yeah, yeah, I can do it. I can do it. You know I can do it. It's okay, we'll do it. And everybody, because I, I had I had shine by doing the simple things, one or two decent things, but keeping it simple that they go, this guy can work, doing somebody. And that's what you got to let them know is this you can work. You can go out there and if something doesn't work right you can pick up and keep going and so that's kind of where that Master george happens is during that time and then when i get back and back in memphis back in and and get back on the road from there i actually get called in from a guy named kemper rogers who was a production guy for wcw to do a music video for him he knew me we were kind of friends we talked at shows and stuff like that and that's when me and Marcus were, were putting a music video by him. And to kind of end my time in USWA working for Lawler, they wanted me to go up and do some more TVs. Um, and I basically said no, because in talking to Kevin Sullivan, Terry Taylor, and a few other people, they didn't want me to do that anymore because they were thinking about bringing me in to be Bagwell's partner. And that was june of 95 so a few months before my actual debut as an american male that's that's all a lot of time was kind of happening with the tribe match with with george and this that and the other and some other stuff that was going on possibility of being lexus flag all these little things that were could have been a step into WWF, but if you look at it and it's probably maybe Leading up to a question you may be going to ask, I end up going to WCW, B-Bagwell's partner in 95, the first ever Nitro, who shows up? Lex. (laughs) Nobody knew Lex was coming in. So if I stayed in Memphis, instead of taking the opportunity to bagwells partner, I could have got stuck in Memphis on the possibility of being Luger's protege, Little did we know, a few months later, Lex would be leaving, you know. So there were two things working, two ties that you could say were working to get us both the there at the same time. And for me to take that one ramp, not knowing Lex would do that. And that's, again, the weirdness of professional wrestling, <laughs> of how a, it's all timing, how something can get you into a spot or can cause you to lose a spot. And that's, probably, that's why you never saw George... In WF is because his timing of that match was so bad, they just would, you know, is, is, is him coming in is not worth it to give him a spot.
1: Right. Wow, it's amazing how things work out. And uh, <laughs> uh I so think you... that was one of the few
0: unique situations where this X, Y, and Z factor, like I said, with and meeting, you know, Ted Allen at the very start of my career to finally meeting Jim Cornette and Jake Snake and DDP and Regal. Like, one of the matches I had, um, a TV match I had with, with Steve Regal. He remembered me from working with Paige and stuff at the, uh, the karate school. And so he gave me a few things in a match. to just follow me. I'll make you look good. He goes, I'll probably beat you up a little bit too, but I'll make you look good here and there. So that's kind of what we did. And like I said, Brad Armstrong, everybody loved Brad. And so Brad was putting me over a big time. I would work with brad again my drop kick and a lot of timing things because brad's timing was impeccable he was so smooth in the ring and so that's where i learned a lot of just timing things he was working me on the side saying hey do this do this let me watch you do this oh that sucked (laughs) you know and that's the way you got better you know you had somebody telling you you, your stuff was horrible
1: (laughs) (laughs) very cool and uh so you you mentioned uh uh, the idea of 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 becoming Marcus's tag team partner. Um, uh, you know what did you first think when uh, you, you pitched this idea of the American males and uh, you know team with Marcus?
0: And again, another goofy story when we had done that music video for Kemper, it was me, and Marcus, and his girl named Heather, and it was to it was a aha uh-huh song. Um, they did the Take On Me song. I can't remember what the name, uh, Lie With Me, I think is the name of the song we did. And it was on MTV Buzz Clips. And when um, Kemper was doing the production of the video he was doing using the CNN Studios, Jimmy Hart walks in and sees me and Marcus on the, uh, you know, the editing board and stuff, putting all the stuff together. He goes, where, where, where's Scotty at? And he was like, he's in Memphis. And that's where, again, during that time of June, was, yeah, in June, July of 95 is when the phone started wor- ringing at uh, the Louisville Days Inn. Where we stayed where they have stayed at that same Days Inn for 20, 30 years since the territory has been around. And we were there every Tuesday um, for the Louisville Gardens. And so. Jimmy knew how to get in touch with me because he knew I'd be there. So that's my phone started ringing with with Kevin Sullivan talking to me about coming in to be Bagwell's partner. So I had Kevin talking to me, Jenny Engle, Jimmy, Jenny Engle was the head secretary of WCW and Jimmy kept talking to me about this, that, this, that. Okay. We'll talk about this, talk about that. And each week a little more of a promise got being made until finally Jenny Engle gets on the phone and says, Kevin wants to talk to you. Kevin goes, I guarantee you 600 bucks a week coming to be Bagwell's partner. Are you interested? It's a 90 day trial. to be be Bagwell's partner? Sure. Yeah, I'm definitely just, I'm making, you know, X amount of dollars, 40 bucks a night in Memphis, you know, that's 200 bucks a week. Plus you made a little bit more, you know, if shows were good and where you were on the card, you knew your money got to go up some. And I said, you know, sure, I'd love to come in. He goes, okay, hang on, let me give you Janie. Janie, and this is Tuesday in Evansville, or in, in Louisville, Wednesday we're in Evansville, Indiana. Janie goes, okay, we need you in Atlanta this weekend. So I'm on a Tuesday going into a Wednesday. And I'm going, okay, you want me there in Atlanta this Friday? Yes, because you're going to be in Orlando at our TV tapings the following Monday. Okay, so this is a whole new world for me. I'm having to go to from Louisville to Evansville to Randy Hale. I'm leaving from tonight's show on. Going to Atlanta to be his partner and with WCW in a tryout. Blah, blah, blah. They were mad that I was leaving on a short term notice. They usually like you know two week notice before you left the company. And I wrestled Tracy Smothers in the last match that night. We're in the ring, and he, and I'm supposed to put him over, and he's calling the ring. He goes, no, nah, I'm putting you over. He goes, congratulations, getting your shot with WCW. Good luck. As he's basically holding me down on the crossbody. body. <laughs> one, two. 3 I'm trying to get off of him because I'm still, he's a veteran, I should listen to him, but I'm going to just think to finish You'll be mad. He goes, you're leaving. What are you gonna be mad at? You, you know, so And this is, he's telling me this in the ring. I'm like, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're right, Jersey. And so basically that's how everything came and me, bought ba- Bagwell's partner. And again, it was a trial thing. And so me and Marcus had known each other from the Atlanta time before. Uh, going out in Atlanta and stuff like that, bumping each other at clubs and stuff. So we were friends. We'd never tagged or never done anything with us before, but we were, we were, you know, we were friends. And came in, we put some outfits together on a Friday, had it sewn on Saturday, and the lady who sewed our stuff, Sandra, she became WBF's head seamstress lady. She did, did all their outfits. So it's kind of cool. She went from the American Males to WWF, doing all their stuff. She was their head seamstress, Sandra Gray, uh, is it Sandra O'Gray or just Sandra Gray? Sandra Gray. But um, just kind of cool. And then that's what our first match was uh Regal and Eaton Blue Bloods. They made me look like a million dollars. Eaton Regal kept calling stuff to make me shine. They beat up Marcus because they knew Marcus already from Stars and Stripes and all the other stuff and. You know, they tag me in and make me look like a superstar and everything else. And that one match right there solidified me to be Bagwell's partner, even though I was still under a nine-day trial. Um, we went and did a spent the next two or three days doing a video that was going to be um out on horseback and stuff like that. Because that's what Jimmy Hart came from US USDB with the fabulous ones, the the Fantastics, Rock and Roll. Y'all did these videos, either on motorcycles or horses or, you know, beaches and this stuff like that. So we did that and never used any of it. And when we got back into Atlanta is when they sent me and Marcus to get Kemper to do the black and white videos that finally became the American male stuff. But that one mm-hmm. match with Regal and Eaton solidified us being a tag team together
1: that's very cool. It's, uh, you know, lucky that you had two guys, you know, Bobby Eaton's, you know, one of the greatest. Oh, uh, Bobby was, uh,
0: God rest his soul. He was a sweetheart. He was, but he could hurt you if you wanted to. <laughs> he was, uh, he was just, I was hurt, He wasn't muscle strong, but he had tendon strength. He could grab you and you knew he had a hold of you, but he was such a gentle guy. He used to, uh, he he, in his own quiet way, you know, very southern. I, I don't want to say redneck way because there really wasn't redneck, but it was more just Alabama, you know, upbringing and stuff like that. His accent, he was he would crack you up, and he wouldn't even make, mean to do it. But he was naturally funny, naturally strong, such a cool dude, and he knew everything. He, it, we could get into one thing in the ring, and he would call boom, 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 and it would just flow like water. He was so good.
1: Oh, that's really cool. Um, and uh, I want to ask a little bit more about you and Buff. Uh, uh, did you start to travel with Buff at all? And, and you know, because th- there's two guys right there that were clearly eye-catching to female fans or just females in general. So like, what would a night out with yourself and Buff look like uh, during these days?
0: Well, we definitely did travel together because, again, I came from Memphis. No money. Got a six hundred dollar guarantee, and here I am as one half of the world' tag team champions. Bagwell's making six figures; I'm making six hundred bucks a week. How are we doing? You know. Mm-hmm. And when I came back in, I didn't have anywhere to stay, so I got in touch with Ray Lloyd, and that's where again I was sleeping on his um orange crush velvet sofa. <laughs> I can remember it was in the old day room, and. That's where I was sleeping. I, my, my wrestling gear would be right next to that with the world Tattoo Tile sitting on top of it. And I was sleeping on, on the couch. But yeah, um, Marcus basically said, dude, I know you have no money. You can travel with me. I got a credit card. I got this, I got that. I've been doing it for a while so I can teach you the ropes. And again, that's how, like I said, the first big trip he made was, was Orlando for the TV tapings. And then um, the first Nitro was the first road trip i took up to minneapolis from atlanta and we worked with uh dick slater bunkhouse buck jimmy golden uh as a dark match we did like a 25-minute match and just had a blast and then we watched the live night show that went on and that's again that's when Luger showed up and i'm sitting back going wow it's a good thing i didn't stick in uswa to be lex's mm-hmm. protege mm-hmm. that told me right there i made a, the right decision And it wasn't too far after that. I'm trying to remember how it fell um, into the third Nitro was in Asheville. Or it was in Johnson City, Tennessee. Then pay-per-view fall brawl before that was in Asheville. And so that was my first big TV thing as the American Man. We'd done a few TV shots. um, And I'm trying to think we worked with Dick. Oh, not Dick, but um, the Nasty Boys. Yep, on the overall main event show. But the night before, we all got into uh, Asheville on Saturday to have a big finish meeting. And that night, uh, Flair walks in. Can't remember who else. He had three of the office girls: uh, Donna, Sonia, and I can't remember the other girl's name. But I can picture her face. But um, Rick goes. Scotty, get dressed. Marcus, get dressed. This is where you're welcome in part. You're welcome to the club parties. You know, Scott, we're going out. So we had to go get dressed, get cleaned up. Flair took us out. And we basically hung with the uh, the office girls. They were just three of the coolest chicks you'd ever want to meet, but they were office. So they, we didn't, you know, we we're none friends, but they were party animals and knew how to have a good time. And so me and Marcus together with them had a great time. Flair got us so hammered. I just remember waking up the next day, we had to do about at least a half hour, 45 minutes of cardio sweat the booze out of us. <laughs> both me and Marcus we got up. We had both had pounding headaches. <laughs> and Marcus like, Flair took me up before, but not like that, Scotty. You, he was, he took you out right, Scotty. He took you out right. And then we were at the Nassies that night. And if you watch the beginning part of that match. I lock it with, with Jerry Sacks at the very right beginning of it. He has 22 unanswered live round punches, kicks, and stomps on me. And if you watch the beginning of the match, you see Marcus hops in the ring. He's yelling something. Sack or Knobs uh, runs down the apron and he's yelling something. And Jerry's just getting in the ring going, I'm just fucking to the company. And you're not live on TV. You don't stop a mud hole in the dude. You still got a rest of the match to go. <laughs> So that was my welcoming to the company from sag's 22 unanswered punches kicks stomps it was a blast but yeah me and Marcus basically started traveling every week together and here was the the real icing on top of the cake lex and sting are great friends they run you know maybe that fitness together and friends for a long time from back in the 80s and probably you know when when sting and lex wreck you know back in that time um Sting and Marcus became great friends. So here Lex comes back into the company. Marcus and Sting have been traveling together here and there, working out together. So who did I end up becoming traveling partners with? Lex, Sting, Mark Bagwell, <laughs> and me in the Lincoln Town car, canning together, playing golf together, working out. Eating. I mean, it, we'd all be on the same flights throughout Atlanta, same times together. And all I had to do was drive. It was pretty much the scenario because I was the greenhorn. But here I am traveling with the top guys in the company. I mean, it's, it was amazing. Again, timing, coming, coming into the first night, timing, not staying in USWA, timing, Luger coming in. Just, it was, it's, I mean, it's a, if I ever decided to write a book, it probably would be sell better than Jericho's or Mankind's, Mick oh. Foley's, you know, sell better. <laughs> than their, and they had, you know, their New York Times bestselling list.
1: <laughs> really cool. I put um, all
0: these stories on the paper. Yeah. Which way have done that decade ago, it probably would, would have done well, but it's a little too late now. <laughs>
1: Yeah, this is this is some great stuff, Scotty. And uh, so uh, at some point, yes, uh, September 18th, 95, you do become one half of the world tag team champions. So you must have been pretty happy with how the run was going at this point, right?
0: Oh, definitely. We won, we won the tag straps. I just remember um, we're in Johnson City. Came through the curtain. I'm sitting down there and I'm choking up in reality because it's emotional. And I, I come from, me- from Memphis I think I made less than six grand in the eight months I was there, but I put over fifty thousand miles on my own vehicle, traveling all the roads, going from Memphis to Nashville, Nashville back to Memphis, to Louisville, Kentucky, to you know, to all these places. Ton of miles in my car, and now here I am with a with a, a pretty solid spot, even though I'm still. Don't have a first contract in front of me, but I'm still pretty solid spot with one half the world tag team titles with the strap that, you know, the Jerry Gordy and Steve Death williams had the same straps. Barry Windham, Dustin, Pillman, Austin, the same leather straps, you know, they had all worn, I got in my hand, you know. So to me, it's I'm, I'm really just tripping out that I have come this far. And Art Anderson happened to walk by and saw me a little choked up, said, kid, Congratulations. You remember the chat we had in center stage? I was like, yes, I do. He goes, I'm glad you listened. <laughs> so that was, again, another welcome to the company spot was Arn. Remembering he had that conversation. I'm sure he's had that, not that conversation, but probably conversation with other talent to go get better, to do this, you know, to, to make this sacrifice to, or learn this route to get better. You know, I'm sure I'm not the only person he did that for. But, yeah, it's just kind of cool to have gone that route and to have a title in my hands.
1: Yeah, it's really cool because, you know, it went from, you know, it's a 90-day trial, and yeah. within that time period, they they've uh, had so much trust in you both to, to give you a spot like that. So you guys must have done quite well during that trial period. Uh, uh, well, we, again, it was
0: Kevin Sullivan and Jimmy Hart, those guys, knew that a young, talented couple of guys could get eyeballs on the screen. So we deserved a nice little push, nice little rub. We always had great matches. We didn't win every match, but you also saw have matches with like Flair and Arn, um, Arn and Brian Pillman, Arn and Kristen Mois, where we had tw- you know 15, 10, 15 minute nitro matches, uh, two segments, and you barely matches had that. But they trusted us to have those type matches with those guys to have, you know, and it was just, again, me and markers just as weirdly as it sounds, just had instant chemistry together. We're in the ring. We didn't have to say a whole lot. We just saw each other and knew a vibe to, to, win, to tag. You know, if he looked at me, I looked at him and I cut that was tag. You know, I knew he, if you ever watched people who know how to tag match, the inside guy hand up, the outside guy tags, just like that. I'm the outside guy, boom, he tags me in. It's not this, or it's not two hands fumbling like that each other. And if I saw him look at me, I just put my hand out. And either he would call something, a double elbow or a double hip toss, you know, this or the other, or I, or the guy, the guy inside the ring, would knew what was coming up and knew how to call it. So we were just um, just great chemistry. It's the only way I could say it. And even against each other, when he became buff, We had great chemistry against each other. So it just, it meshed well.
1: Absolutely. Yes. I mean, it's a great run that you guys have. You work with some great teams like the Armstrong brothers, Public Enemy, the Barrio brothers, the Blue Bloods, the Steiners, the Faces of Fear. Uh, But there is a time, November 96, as you just mentioned, where uh, they were going to split you guys up, have Marcus uh, turn on you. Uh, So how did you feel about the split? Uh, and the ensuing feud with Buff, um, you know, and, and you know we're excited now to 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 you know move forward into a singles career in wCW. I mean, one of the
0: one of the weird things with Marcus and me, and him splitting up becoming Buff, um, I'm trying to think we were in Lake City, doing the Nitro there, Lake City, Florida, and we were still doing that clumsy, Thing you know, we're going to bump into each other, cause each other matches and stuff. And none of this was actually leading to Marcus becoming Buff and joining the NWO. They were just trying to do something with us and see if we could work the fans. Am I going to be heel, or is Marcus going to be heel? You know. And so that's when they just started doing the thing about you know, you know, Eric calling people you know who's going to join this week, that, that stuff, that routine, and. Kevin Nash said, Marcus, tonight's your night. You're going to NWO. Marcus like, really? He's like, yeah. So nothing was known beforehand. It was done pretty much on the fly. And we were supposed to work with Regal. Marcus is going to put Regal over over with me doing a cluster with him again. And so we got pulled from that match. And that's when we did the the turn angle for him to turn on me. And he was kind of going to transition to do kind of a root-style thing, good look, pose and i so said we came up with a neck breaker for him and i didn't even know we were having a pay-per-view match until his girlfriend came up to me at the gym and said you know you're excited about wrestling marcus when at the pay-per-view what pay-per-view <laughs> sold out one i had no idea i was marcus <laughs> so that's a little bit of a black eye, maybe at w, at w at the office hadn't really told us what we were doing. Marcus knew I didn't know a thing. But we get, but like to me, I was like, hey, cool. Cause I knew Marcus again. He had been a good guy for so long. That he could only be a good guy for so much longer. This was his chance to actually become a bad guy and Blaze's own path, you know, being his persona. And I actually created the the buff blockbuster. And we were in the ring, in the, uh, not in the ring, but the, uh, the hotel room in Cedar Rapids. <laughs> and in between beds, we were trying to think of something to do that was, would end up like a Rick Rude neck breaker, but it wouldn't be that. I said, well, man, well, if you were on top rope and you did this, could you come off and catch me? And we basically did it from bed to bed, me standing between the beds and then kind <laughs> of flipping over to do it. And we said, we'll figure it out and we'll do it in the ring. And Mark was like, no, I'm do it in the ring. <laughs> and that's how we did that's the first one ever done and you've seen how guys have progressed it over the years with or, you know all these extra moves and more more you know glitz and glamour to it than mean than me marcus did but we we invented to me it's kind of it's like jake snake inventing the ddt yeah you know he was one who actually invented that and so for us to actually have invented a move that so many other people stole and did well with to, to me, Margaret was like, yay, we, just, we did something good. so But yeah, it was kind of cool. And again, we wrestled each other a couple of different times. and wrestled each other on the road a ton. And it was just a blast. We had so much fun wrestling against each other. And just like we did with each other. And I'm trying to think, we were still being the American males, in a sense, on the road where we could go into a town and have a choice of women if that's what you want to look at it, you know being that type of persona because we were, we were cheesy we were beefcake that was the whole thing and so yeah you know that even even as opponents we could go into the same club together work the same side of the room i could set him up he could set me up and we go and that's you know instead of doing it together setting each other up we do it from across the room because we're still trying to Echo, we didn't like each other anymore you know that type thing <laughs> yeah but you know we'd have fun that way okay you're doing this way you know we'd be high five each other or not high five but high sign like this one here da-da-da. no okay <laughs> how about this yeah. yeah okay him doing the same blonde to brunette tonight yeah sometimes you'd actually be in the ring wrestling each other and we'd catch a girl's eye in the crowd and i'd be like marcus throw me into the blonde <laughs> and Boom, boom, boom. He told me outside, pitched me over. There. I leaned the blonde slap. What you doing tonight? You know, and I look up and, <laughs> Hi. and that's how we'd hook up sometimes, just being just goofy, silly, but having fun and entertaining fans at the same time. We were kind of idiots that way.
1: <laughs> that's very cool, Brian. And uh, one last question to before I put a bow on the section about the American males here in this interview. What do you think you learned the most, uh, about you know? just being a professional wrestler uh, from your run with uh, Marcus in the American Males? Just how to, even though wrestling was pro-
0: um, progressing to be more of a TV thing with a camera in your face, you still had to be able to listen to a crowd. Yeah. Um, a, a, a strange way to kind of, even though it has nothing to do with the American Males, the Spring Stampede 99, when I wrestled Mikey Whipwreck. Yeah. Um we were a dead match. They had put that new gimmick on me kind of with a mirror type thing. Uh and me and Mikey, the fans couldn't give two whips about us. You know, they they couldn't care. They, they didn't even want to cheer. And there was one point when it started booing, and I dropped down and grabbed Mikey and a rear chin lock, and they are just booing. Just, you know, they were we're booing, yawning, all of it. And Mikey's like, Let's get them like doing no. Sit right here, brother. Let's get up done. No, we're sitting right here. I ain't letting them dictate us. And even though we're working a TV crowd, a pay-per-view crowd, I'm not going to let the crowd tell me what to do during a match. And that's what kind of Marcus, because he had already learned that, passed on to me. And I knew Mikey knew that, but he was also He was ECW and stuff. But I had to calm him down and say, no, I'm not letting these people tell me what to do. And I got my biggest compliment ever, not face-to-face or anything, but Horace Hogan comes up to me after a match and says, man, Holster and those guys are watching your match. I'm like, oh, no. He didn't like the booing, did they? He goes, no. When they were booing you and they saw you drop down and you grabbed Mikey in a hole, you sat there. Hulk was like, that guy knows what he's doing. He let them, <laughs> and he goes, Hulk loved it. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, I think Hope was going, because these guys suck. Oh, are they ruin them? Hope got pulled over it. I didn't let the crowd tell me what to do. So that was kind of the thing that I learned at that to that point in my career to be a professional wrestler. You don't want to, I'm the pro, not the fans. So that's that was the one big takeaway I had at that point in my career so far.
1: Awesome stuff. Love it. I love the stories and and the next obviously memorable time uh, in your career. So, when you're a part of Raven's flock. Uh, what did you think of being re- repackaged in this way? And, and was the eye injury legitimate that that led to the eye patch? I don't know, was it? Uh, I read online somewhere that, that you had said that it was legitimate, but I'll, I just wanted to check with you. <laughs> well, brother,
0: it was fresh and wrestling. Of course, it was legit, it was real. I really gave it to my eye up when I left it when I after that match where I took some sandpaper to my eye, put a little iodine on it. It made the skin dry up and made the face get puffy and everything else. So that when I flew home the next day, it looked like my eye was messed up. It really was not from the chair, but from what I did to it to make it look like it was messed up. So there is a fine line of telling the truth to working to being a pro wrestler. But I mean the, the the crazy thing was that thing with me that me and Raven did in San Diego the Night You're there um was not supposed to be an angle, was not supposed to be anything, it was supposed to be a way to introduce Raven, being a cold-hearted, he's gonna injure a guy and he doesn't care. And it looked so good. So what Kevin Sullivan told me, because it looked so good we had to use it. And we figured it'd be a great way to get you into doing something else, to give you a a run of doing something with, with Raven. I mean it got me to do that uh, that dive from the top ring post over the guardrail into the crowd. I think it was in Cincinnati that we did that. I don't know if you remember that spot I'm talking about. Yeah. But um, that was something that uh, we talked about doing. And in that match, I was wrestling with Saturn. I had the big eyes pad on the eye and stuff like that. But nobody knew that I had a contact lens in. Uh, But what I told every reporter, anybody who asked, the the lens was in there because the eye injury, if I looked at the the bright ring lights, it would give me migraines, it would give me a massive headache. So I had to put the opaque contact lens in to protect me from getting headaches. But it was basically for people on TV to see that his eye, you know, just in his eyes messed up, but no, he opens it up, it's fine. But you have that look in there and they go oh my gosh it's like jake snake did that way back in the 80s you know with uh, the model rick martell so i kind of did that on my own so when the ipads came off during the match they were panicking in the production because they didn't know what camera angle to shoot how to shoot the rest of the match until so i looked at the camera and they saw the eye looking messed up actually <laughs> you know the referee runs over look at the camera look at the camera. Am I like going, am I like going, hey, they see the eye back there and that was my doing. Not anybody else's, not the office going, we need to do this and do that or a, you know, the team telling us to do that or the creative booking staff. Back in that time, we pretty much did our own creative writing. Yeah. It's kind of a way to say it. And me doing that, legit, I could not see that eye at all with that, let that lens in there right. and so my depth perception was way off so some, some of my punches i'd hit somebody sorry I, <laughs> right in the face shake, i'd legit punch him because i i couldn't see when you know not hit him so hard and when i got on that ring post i had no depth perception so i could have dived and crashed and burned into the guardrail. so we had sick boy and uh, i think it was kidman move the guardrails, actually, they were shaking the guardrails, acting nuts, to scoot the guardrails closer to that far out to jump. But it still looked good. And Arn Anderson, of all people, walks up to me and says, dude, you're not Rey Mysterio. You're 240 pounds. Rey's about 180 and can make that dive. You can't do that. You shouldn't do that. If you hurt yourself, you're in a little, you know. I said, we got it, On. We got it, on. All right, kid, you know what you're doing. And it just worked out again it was something that let, looked great and it came into being a part of the flock so well with the, having the real vi looking so good that we took the steps and actually raven didn't tell me to do it nobody else told me to. i just did it on my own and we had our match in at world war three in, in um detroit yep and um we were supposed to start in the third ring and finish in the third ring. We started in the third ring and we finished in the first ring. <laughs> they were so pissed because they only had camera people that were only supposed to work some, certain spots. So we had camera people that were running this way to do this and production was going, no, go to camera one and ring one. They're supposed to be in ring three. I know, damn it. Yeah, and so, But <laughs> we wrestled everywhere we wanted to and finished in that ring. But I still remember we had worked a couple of uh, house shows. Get an idea how we wanted our match to go, and when I reversed and dropped old hold him into the into the chair on the pay per view, I crawled over, or we're both down for about almost a ten count. I finally threw my arm over, one, two, and he does a kick out. the The crowd in Detroit or in uh, Palace of Auburn Hills is what it was. Uh, They all went, oh. When he kicked out, they thought I was beating him with that reversal. Yeah, I was using his own maneuver on him to beat him. The crowd was so near a match. And when he did that, I'm laying on, I'm, I'm, I'm raving like this. He's on the mat. chin am like, we got him. And he goes, <laughs> I know, and it cool? I'm like, just because we heard them visibly gasp when he kicked out. So it was like really cool that we had them right where we wanted them. And we could go home when we wanted to at that point. So it was really cool, and so that part of it, Raven actually didn't want me to be in the flock.
1: Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah,
0: so he didn't. Want, he wanted like fresh faces, like Lodi. Yeah, the Sick Boy. He didn't want Hammer. He liked to have a Reese because Reese was a big guy. Saturn is ECW guy, but like me, he didn't really want Kidman. He wasn't quite sure about. But um, but he goes the way that I, I changed my look completely and embraced the eye patch and did the eye thing he goes you know i kind of earned the uh I, i earned my spot to be in there it just wasn't something that was handed to him he goes you know you earned your your right to be there by doing the things you did and embracing the character not 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 still trying to be an american male but in the flock
1: yeah that's very cool and uh uh, 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 quite some time ago, probably about two years ago or so, I had the chance to interview Lodi. Uh, and when I had Lodi on the show, I, I I wanted to mention each member of the flock uh, to him and just get like a, a thoughts on 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 each person that's in the flock. So I'm going to play this with you as well, Scotty. It's kind of like not a little word association, but just how you feel about uh, the guy. <laughs> so uh, let, let's start with Lodi. Uh, what are your thoughts of Lodi?
0: He was insane to where he embraced that sign thing and he got more heat than most of us. He was a heat seeking missile force.
1: Excellent. Uh, the next night, Perry Saturn. He
0: was, he was a killer. <laughs> he was a killer of our group.
1: <laughs> uh, up next, Van Hammer. Uh,
0: Van Hammer was a troublemaker because he got kicked out of sitting the ringside because he decided to wipe a cigarette one day. And he also got us more fights because the Georgia Dome match that me and uh, Saturn beat Mongo and Benoit. Yeah. Instead of going sideways to the, uh, you know, walking down the uh, the rampway, the the aisle, Hammer decided to walk us back up through the crowd. So we are basically we just beat Benoit and Mongo by cheating. And we are slugging people left and right to get through there. And it was all because Hammer decided to go that way. So Hammer was our troublemaker.
1: (laughs) Uh, Another guy who who unfortunately wasn't a part of the flock for too long. uh, Stevie Richards.
0: Uh, Stevie was a good guy. He had the great role to transition from ECW into WCW. But... I just remember we had one house show in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. He showed up to be a part of the show, even though he wasn't supposed to be part of it. And long story short, we are supposed to have, uh, I was supposed to Russell Raven. Instead, we put me and Stevie in there and have Stevie and me wrestle. If I beat Stevie, I get to Russell Raven. And Stevie goes in this, all this, call me a butt pirate, all this stuff that he was told not to do, go out there and just do this, this, and this. Do your, your stick, but don't go too stupid with it. And I got pissed off with him, unfortunately. And it was one of the last times I remember him being at ECW or WCW. I remember kind of ring. I smacked him on the side once because he was acting like an idiot. I said, calm down and smacked him and left the handprint on the side. I think that was the night he left and went to, made a few phone calls. and was almost with uh, WWF in like weeks. <laughs> So it ended up being much better for him because he had a great run in WWF. But it was, it was, Kidman ended up taking over his thing. I'm probably saying way too much in a word association thing here, but there's a little bit of depth, kind of like uh, Stevie was Stevie. Let's just put it that way. And that was my way of getting to the point of saying Stevie was Stevie. I mean, I love that we've talked, we've done some conventional stuff never had a memory about it you know but every now and again that pops in my mind that what kind of led up to stuff
1: right that's <laughs> cool uh I, the next name I'll, I'll throw out there horace Horace, i really didn't know horace well i remember the main reason
0: raven wanted him in the group was he was hulk's nephew <laughs> right.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's right that's my best he, he did some good good stuff but he was uh, He brought some stuff he did in Japan over, but he was basically Holt's nephew.
1: Very cool. At Canyon.
0: Canyon was a mastermind of creativity in wrestling. I mean, he was a a creative genius in wrestling.
1: Excellent. Uh, Next one, Sick Boy.
0: Sick Boy could have been probably the the biggest star out of all of us, except he has had way too many injuries getting into it he was a incredible athlete The springboard stuff you could do for a guy his size he was he was the, gaz- the gazelle of the group because he could spring and do anything you wanted to do
1: excellent we've got three to go here uh kidman
0: kidman was a sex symbol of the group even though he did the scratch <laughs> and everything he was a pretty boy he was the american male of the flocks even though i was the american male in the flock <laughs>
1: Excellent. Uh Reese.
0: Reese, he was our giant. He was our mongo. We pawn in the game of life. <laughs> That's uh, blazing saddles. That's the guy that uh was the original mongo character. He was very simpleton, but a big
1: monster could hurt you. Right, very cool. And of course, Raven. What are your thoughts of Raven?
0: Raven was our evil genius. <laughs> he was he was <laughs> I'll just put it that way I probably if, if anybody else probably explained it to you a lot better or not really better but without going into any debauchery he was our evil genius
1: very nice because that kind of led me to this next question uh, I, I kind of put this question there just to kind of make you laugh but what does a night out with the flock look like, smell like and taste like
0: oof that's about the best I can put it oof <laughs> there was a lot of things happened in a lot of clubs, in the middle of the dance floor, uh, in a parking lot, in bathroom, in the DJ booth that would probably get you me chewed <laughs> drastically. Career, and I don't know. In today's, we will be we will be canceled. In today's right. culture. And right. see that's the best way I can put a night out with the fly will get you
1: canceled. <laughs> yeah, I had a story about Kibben being uh thrown down a slip and slide in a in a hotel once.
0: Uh yeah, the rhino. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's one I think it was favorites. called the rhino. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't no. my story to tell, because I wasn't there for that. So that's it's okay. Not, no <laughs>
1: Um, But, you know, you have a great run with the flock, uh, you know, because there's always something going on uh, story-wise with Raven, which means you're always actively involved in a story. Uh, So what would you say, uh, again, about learning things? What would you say you learned the most from the run with the flock?
0: Um, Just to really try to be more creative with how you map things out and intensity. Because uh, our our run with uh, with Chris Benoit, I had some really great matches with Chris. Uh, to where, like uh, like I told you, I played college football, and you really had to get intense to play to get on that field with guys who were like I wasn't the greatest linebacker, but I got to play. There were guys that were ten times better than me that I had to compete against. You know, in, in college football. And so every time I wrestled Chris, it was like I had to turn my game up a notch to be as intense as he was. So, I mean, I just wanted to be creative and trying to put things together like Raven did and to be intense because the guys who were wrestling were intense.
1: Right. And, and I, have, I guess another general question like, how was your outlook on uh, where to go next as, a, as as a performer in WCW? Um, did somebody come to you with the idea of the gimmick, you know, with the mirror and 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 the, the narcissism, I suppose, of the, of the character? Well, was um, that kind of the, the route
0: I wanted to go? Is I like I wanted to keep the eye patch. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Escape from New York, Escape yes. from L.A., yeah. with Kurt Russell, Snake Plissken, <laughs> that was kind of where the imagery with the eye patch that I decided to pursue. With my look, kind of like, you know, with, uh, even though snake Klisken was clean shaven, I tried to have the, the mutton chops. That was my uh, Ole Anderson uh, tribute. Um, I know um, Triple H's mutton chops were to Harley Race. Yeah. So we each had our, our own veteran of our uh, era before ours that we were kind of uh, paying tribute to. But I wanted to keep that eye patch and keep and go with a snake Klisken look and when we were in Sturgis, I actually bought a brown leather uh, jacket, kind of like Raven's black leather, but this is brown. And got some pants made up and boots made up stuff and actually brought it in to present to Terry Taylor, who was booking at the time, to kind of uh, say, hey, we're, you know, we're out of the flock, we're doing this, this guy's going that way, this guy's going this way, You know, I want to do this, and Terry goes, No, I want you to go back to being a pretty boy. So what's the story about me get my fans don't care. They ain't gonna worry about it. Just as long as you appear doing whatever. And it was like, okay. And me and Terry Taylor did not like each other for two reasons. And neither one of them were mine. He didn't like me for two reasons. One, we were on a flight from Mm -hmm. Vegas back to Atlanta, which is a red eye flight. Uh, which means we left at like two in the morning and got back at, got to Atlanta eight in the morning, something like that. And I'm sitting in the, uh what's the big aisle? The evacuation aisle.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, yeah.
0: You know, I can't remember, I can't think of a terminology off my mind. I'm doing a brain fart here. But I'm sitting, Terry's got the window seat. I'm in the middle seat. J.J. Dillon's in the aisle. And i'm going this flight is going to suck because <laughs> i did not want to be those guys and it's a long flight about five minutes we're getting, getting ready to take off stewardess comes down mr riggs um would you like to uh, get yourself together and come up first class yes ma'am i sure would terry starts pitching a fit I, I'm more of a dis, you know, valued member than him. I can have more miles. This uh, I'm Terry Taylor. He's and all this stuff. And I'm not even paying attention to any fit he is pitching. I'm grabbing my bag. Man, can I get a quarter's light? And I'm going up the aisle. And she is not even listening to him either. So that was my first strike where Terry hated me for that. Actually, there are three, there are three reasons. It was the third strike. The second one is he wanted me to wrestle this guy in in florida before saturday night uh tv taping i made this quick and it was a guy that was going to wrestle scott hall on the on the tape show but he wanted to be wrestling in a dark match and put the kid over and the kid was nobody he was very bland gear and stuff and terry's mindset was if he beats you in a dark match people think he may have a chance against scott hall So that makes no sense Yes, it does. No, it doesn't, Terry, and I'm not doing it. Oh, was this your hometown or something? I said, no, my hometown is Savannah, Georgia, uh, where's when Fort Myers, Florida, and I'm not doing it because it makes no sense because Scott Hall is not going to give that kid anything. People are going to think that he has a chance to beat Scott Hall because he beats me. No, I'm not doing it. <laughs> Fire me if you want to, Terry. Send me home. Whatever you want to do, I'm not doing it. I walk out, go sit down. Two, three minutes later, I mean, what was very brief. Here comes Kevin Sullivan and Art Anderson. Kid, great response. We told me he was stupid as shit for, for wanting you to do that, too. Great way of sticking up for yourself. Yay for me. And the third was over a chick in Louisiana that somebody, I guess, he was hitting on before, was actually been involved with before. And all I remember is we were all at the table together. I get up to leave, and I spill drinks on her. And I go to the room. I'm thinking I'm hammered. I'm going to bed. About an hour later, after already been in bed, she comes in the room with Marcus. She jumps into bed with me. Leaves Marcus standing there. And Terry was mad because she hooked up with me that
1: night. <laughs> so those are
0: my three strikes with Terry Taylor. And so I think that was one of the reasons why Terry did not, you know, want me to do something of my own. And he was like, "Oh, the fans aren't gonna care. They're not gonna remember, and all this stuff." And somebody going. Okay, I kind of got to make the best of what I can do with this. And that's why, you know, so okay, if we're gonna go with this route, I'm gonna go as, as goofy as I can go with it. And we're gonna go with the mirror. I'm gonna be, you know, da 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 this, da 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 that, narcissist, and all this other stuff. And if you notice, maybe eight, ten weeks into it, I stopped using the mirror. <laughs> right. And and that was the only reason I actually got that uh, pay per view match, uh, Spring Stampede against Mikey Rivrek. Kevin Nash was booking now. He took over the book from uh, uh, Terry Taylor. And Kevin was like, well, let's, let's see if we can get this gimmick over for you, kid. I'll put you on a pay-per-view match. Kind of like he got put when he was um, Vinny Vegas. Right. He got put it, you know, when he came over that character kind of talking, he was put into a match just to get it over with, you know, to get the, get the, char- the, the character over. And so that's kind of what he did for me. Let's get you a pay-per-view match, kid. Okay, cool. It doesn't really do much for me. All oh, it does is get me to travel from Atlanta to uh, Seattle <laughs> and go and and perform out there for the weekend. You know, so it was a blast. But besides that, it was you know, I could have done that in you know, in Atlanta doing the the center stage stuff. But it was right. a blast to do. You know. Yeah, pay view match. Cool. One foot, one foot the history books.
1: Absolutely, and, and you work all through nineteen ninety nine and WCW uh, without any real angles or story. Um, Although you do win 51.4% of your matches, just to be a real nerd about it. Um, Wow, I didn't (laughs) even know that. Uh, So how how did you feel about the situation as 1999 keeps progressing? I guess they keep changing who's writing the show. Sometimes it's Kevin Sullivan. Sometimes it's Vince Russo. Sometimes it's Kevin Nash. Things keep changing here and there. How did you feel about your situation as 1999 was ending? Well, the
0: biggest memory I have is... I mean, everybody was walking on eggshells at that time. Nobody knew what was going on. Because, again, like you said, everything kept changing. Nobody knew who the boss was. Uh, one minute, Bischoff is there. And next minute, Russo is there. And Bischoff is gone. And Kevin Sullivan's writing again. And, and now it's back to committee again. And so there was no stability anymore. And so it was, no, it was no fun to be there. It was fun to be there afterwards. But to actually do the shows... Would you know everybody became wrestlers to not have a real job? You know, that's one thing, especially back in the 70s, nobody wanted to work a real job, so you become a professional wrestler, so you can travel the world. I mean, I've been very blessed that on Ted Turner's time, I've been Germany, England, Canada, all the United States, I've been to Mexico, uh, Japan. A couple, you know, and Ted Turner got me to go to Japan for a three week tour. Um, we're uh, for New Japan where probably 70% of the matches i got team with Jericho. We had a blast over there wrestling. It was me, Jericho, uh, Bagwell, and Scott Norton we were the only Americans on the tour. <laughs> but we knew Tenzon, and I, and I can't remember the other guy's name. Uh, God, dang that, but you can picture his face, can't think of his name. But we knew Tenzon from uh, the Super Bowl one in Nashville when it was WCW versus New Japan. Yeah. Me and Marcus, as the American males, wrestled the Blue Bloods, <laughs> you know, on um, WCW versus New Japan. <laughs> that was our thing right there. Um, I guess you could say it's country versus country, American males versus Blue Bloods. But um, <laughs> but that's where I got to know, I mean, Tenzon. I got to know him a little bit. He remembered me when we went over there. And I just had a blast going on a trip. It was for three weeks that we were over there. And so yeah. it was after a few weeks, after one week, you started Having withdrawals of being over there because it was no American anymore. It was all Japanese. And when you were in smaller towns, no Japanese TV or no American TV, nothing English, all Japanese, and you're you started losing. You, know, right. you, could, you could go crazy. And I, I had a blast over there, but it got to be mental. Um, but yeah, it was at at towards at one point, it was just so much of inconsistency. I was ready to get out of there, and that's actually. I had my last match. It was a Saturday night TV taping um, Russell Benoit where Saturn and um, uh, Shane Douglas jumped Benoit to beat him. And I just I had so much fun with Russell Benoit that match. And we had the crowd there at the the TV taping, think I was going to beat Chris, all this stuff. Get to Carl Graham, one, two. He just does kick out like we do with Raven. And I actually came up with the, well, he was doing the triple German already. I said, Can you do Because I've been a match. I said, Can you do the triple German and float over into the crossface? Chris is like, You wanna do that? I'm like, Yeah, because I haven't done it before. Let's just do it. He goes, Let me give me about 30 seconds of the beginning, then beat the crap out of me towards the end. I'll make a brief comeback, cut me off. We'll go into reverse, 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 triple, one, two, three, into the crossface. I said, beautiful. He goes, thank you. And we did the same type of thing where we did triple-triple into the thing. And instead of, you know, with the interference of, and I, I didn't request it, of uh, Saturn and, and Douglas, you know, they thought that was going to you know, stop that, that, you know, with Chris and stuff. But he ends up beating me anyway. That was my last match. So I was telling Chris the ring, this is my last match. What? No way. And he's got me in the oh, conversation. Really? conversation. And I said, yeah, I'm done after this. My contract's up.
1: Wow.
0: That's really That led into my ECW.
1: Yeah. So I I wanted to uh, ask you about, like, how did you get, uh, like, did you make a call to to somebody that uh, you knew that was working there? How how did you make that that contact with ECW uh, to come in? It
0: goes back to people you knew before. Um, When I first started in 92, first few months into wrestling i started getting booked on shows like i told you ted would take me to shows set the ring train me and stuff like that uh promoting greg price brought rvd down to cordill georgia which is one of the places they used to wrestle wrestle at pete state and um that's how me and rob got to know each other and rob lived in savannah georgia i was living in atlanta i would come down to visit my parents in savannah and I would end up going hanging out. You know, I'd see my mom and dad for a day and i spent spend two days with Rob. Then I'd see my mom there for a day and go back up to Atlanta. So half my time with visiting my family, I'd be spending with Rob. And we just became great friends. So long story short, after that, that ended with, I think my last match was in November with Chris. And that next month, I had nothing. Did it bring me anything? I was collecting my paychecks. And. I think ECW came to center stage was sometime first or second week of January, and I just wanted to go hang out at the show just to see see the guys and see what was going on, and that's when I first really I met Tommy Dreamer in '95. Went up to I went up to I had an off weekend or off base story here. Um, had an off weekend and went up to Philly to go watch the show, and I'm going at the World Tagging Champs. My first time at the ECW Arena. I walk in. Actually, uh, I meet Paul Heyman, Tommy Dreamer, and Rob at the Marriott at, by the, the Philadelphia Airport. And we all have lunch together. We chit-chat and talk. My first time ever meeting Paul Heyman. Cool dude. Great. Even back then, he was cooler than the other side of the pillow. Uh, Treated me like I was in Star. And I was like, dude, I'm just me. You know, even then. But I walk in the back of the room, meet all the guys from Meanie to Stevie to Francine. Uh, the only person I had heat with was Taz. Because Taz didn't know why I was there. He's like, what's this guy doing here? Is he going to take somebody's job? And the last time I saw Taz was back in July at an AEW show in Savannah. I went to catch up with the guys. And I yelled at Taz. Taz was like, oh, shit, Rick, what's up? So we're talking. I said, yeah, I remember you being pissed off at me that night at the arena. when We met. He was like, oh, I was a different person, different time than." I'm like, no, actually, you taught me a lot about being respectful to somebody else's dressing room and the type of respect somebody should have for my dressing room. So you actually taught me a great lesson because I was a kid back then too. And so, you know, getting back to the point, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting to all these tangents, but getting back to the point there, I, I actually get to the, the to center stage and 2000, I guess, yeah, January 2000. Center stage, I'm talking to Tommy, talking to all these guys, Paul, saying hello to all the guys. Uh, meaning and everybody else catching up with him, Francine, and Tommy's like, "Dude, uh, what's your deal up with uh, WCW?" I said, "I'm I'm finished already. Just collecting my last couple of checks over the next few weeks." He goes, "Well, dude, you uh, you want to come here?" <laughs> I said, "Sure." That's almost almost always gone with me. "You want to come here?" "Sure." "What kind of money can we talk? Well, we can get you on this, this, and this. I can get you, this, you know, and okay, works for me." Let's give me a what's the starting date. Tommy was like, well, when your checks run out with well, W7, I said, I think they run out second week of February. Well, fine. We won't book you anything until after that runs up. You don't want to mess with your money because if you start wrestling with us, they may cut off your last couple of checks. We don't want to do that. So it works for me. And that's kind of got me started there. And Paul Heyman was the first guy, promoter, booker, whatever you want to call it, to sit down with me and say, okay, Scott, we did it, I think, I think we was at the ECW arena, actually. Um, that night, I walked out with Rob on my shoulders. Paul sat me down and said, okay, this is what I want to do. First few months, you'll be Rob's best friend. You'll turn on Rob. You'll probably have an angle with Rob for a little while. Um, and then I probably want to put you and Carino as a tag team. I think y'all will be good together. And he actually laid out a couple of the things uh, about a six-month, idea storyline and it almost felt to a T of what he said as a outline happened. I was like wow this guy because the network thing was happening he wanted you know because I'll do this with you and Rob the network thing and all these little things I think he was just brainstorming at the moment of stuff to do with me and it felt almost in line as he laid it out and the one minute and not a minute but a first time conversation at the arena
1: Right, that's really cool that he. That's how
0: much, that's how well Paul could look at somebody and think, and he even he goes and he goes. What I want you to do is to clap, because that's what all the wrestling fans will remember you as. American males, the clap, and that's how we get you over. We give you a character to do, and that way that can work well with the fans. Understand it, they remember it because your work is great. We got to build a character for you. So, and that, and that's what, you know, that's boom, boom, boom. That's what we went into.
1: That's super cool. And, and, and other things, you know, uh, it, there must have been a, quite the test to to work in front of that hardcore Philly crowd, especially like you're a name from WCW. Um, uh, you know how the fans can be there in Philadelphia at the arena. Was that a test for you to go out there in front of these hardcore fans and, and show them that you could, you know, you can work this hardcore style as well. You can, you know, you know what I mean? Definitely. Um, yeah. the, the the first
0: foundation I had, uh, when me and Sick Boy, as part of the flock, wrestled Public Enemy in Philly at the Spectrum, which is like, I remember Meany, when the first thing he told me, he, you know, he was like, dude, I never got to wrestle the Spectrum, and you did. And I'm from Philly, you know what I'm saying? So that's his his biggest pet peeve with me is I got to wrestle at, the, at the, uh, the Spectrum, but that was a hardcore match, basically, you know, with tables and all the stuff we did. And I actually got to wear a toilet seat on my head. You know <laughs> if, if you if you remember that or not, but I did. <laughs> yeah, and that was my Terry Funk tribute. Nobody got it, but 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 me and and Johnny and Rocco and, and Sick Boy kind of got it. But Terry did, I think, that back in the 80s in Florida in the angle with Dusty. Um, and so, but long story short, I'm sitting there wearing a toilet seat in the ring and the referee's running by going, they're yelling, take the seat off your head, take the seat off your head. I'm like, no. And I, I'm, this is my thing. I get on TV that I'm wearing a toilet seat on my head, you know? So to me, that was fun. I was having a blast. But that was my, <coughs> that was my, Foundation into doing that and to understand. And Johnny and Rocco said, dude, this is how you got to be if you're working with us in Philly. Because they did, you know, they had a huge run at ECW. So, yeah, that was definitely the the route I took. And so when I got there, it was like, yeah, they were, I mean, it was, you know, many a fag thing, you know, American males are fags and all this other stuff. And it was brutal, but that got me more heat. I loved it. It was a blast. The more they refused me and made fun of my past, flipping birds, cuss at out in there, cussing at me, and it just perfect tension. Use it against me because I love it. It's to me, it's a blast. And it was definitely a different, different, different vibe, different style. Um, wrestling with Dreamer, wrestling with a lot of those guys who've done it before. Every I said I, I would tell them, dude, teach me out there of what we're doing. Um, the only time it didn't work well is when I asked Sandman to do that, and he got wasted. I think we are we I can't remember, it wasn't, I think it was St. Augustine, Florida, and he got naked in the ring. <laughs> and I don't know if you knew, know about that, or remember it, or uh, that him. whole scenario, but yeah, he got uh, he got hammered that day, in uh way, way before the show even started, and when we got to the ring, he was hammered. And he was swinging a kendo stick around, knocking a crap out of us and all this stuff. And then he finally got the ring and he dropped his pants in the middle of the ring. And before that happened, we were having these eight-man tag matches. So I think it was me, Rhino, Carino, and Jack Victory against Dreamer, Raven, Tajiri, and somebody else. I can't remember who the fourth guy was. But we were running eight-man tags as the main events and we were doing 30 minutes doing nothing but some silliness some hardcore and and some you know just really good stuff it could have been all summer doing that until Sandman got naked and that was one time he that, that was not the hardcore that you wanted to be hardcore <laughs> that was a you know that was a triple x hardcore that, that he went with and kind of messed up everything <laughs> but it was still a blast though but it was that one thing you know <laughs> only Sandman could do it and god bless him we love him
1: for it <laughs> that's it um, and uh, another uh, infamous time, I guess, in 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 ECW's history, I've asked about 20 people that were performing on this show about what oh. happened from their point of view during this incident at Heatwave 2000. I've had guys from XPW talk about it. I've had oh. so many people now. So now I get another person's point of view when the shit went down with XPW there at ringside. What's your personal story from you know what happened you know from from your experience from that when that took place?
0: I don't have a clue except for what I saw in video because I, I had my master Rob, and me and him were in the back. he was smoking one up already, I was in the back, just chilling, and I was basically all I, was, I remember I was on the floor dropping off the sweat we were going we were laughing about the match just at the other how this looked good how the van terminator looked great how the guardrail spot where i bulldog you into it was great nothing hurt he bit his tongue a little bit and that's when all that stuff was going on with tommy and justin and francine and and we you know it was i think we were right before them yeah um i was eight matches we were seven and they were eight so we were catching our breath and wiping our sweat down. We were you know, watching the show at all. And we just kind of heard that there was a big commotion going on and Rob, you know, Rob, I was like, eh, they'll all take care of it. Just as, uh, just as laid back in the ring was, you know, he came across, he was that laid back in the back I really every seed, saw him. He could, he could mess you up if you wanted to, but he, most of the time he was just so chill. He didn't want to. And so I was just sitting back going, hey, whatever, you know? And so is <laughs> that same scenario. We just kind of sat back and chilled and, didn't worry about so I don't I never saw it in person there wasn't anything in front of my face I never heard a word anybody spoke and never saw a punch anybody through so I I, you probably know more than I do about it since you spoke (laughs) to people I was there it was only 10 20 you know maybe 15 20 yards away from me from where it was in the back but I I I that's (laughs) it (laughs)
1: <laughs> no that's okay I, i'm gonna put a a big uh compilation video together with everyone's personal story yeah i'm sure what i just
0: life. said for the past 15 20 seconds will fit right in there
1: <laughs> it will it will uh because you know th- there had to be a couple of people that weren't even aware there was something going on maybe someone was in the shower yeah, we knew something was going on but
0: it wasn't yeah. nothing that the one of us were getting off you know i was <laughs> again I, I was laying on the floor my feet up because we were laughing. He was sitting back, taking a few totes. It was joint head all rolled up. And it was like, it was nothing that we were going to like jump up and go, what is going on? You know,
1: so. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, and another question I had, you know, uh, what would you say you enjoyed most about your time in ECW?
0: Just being able to not have, uh what's the right word? Uh, a standards and practices I guess is because I would tbs you couldn't drop f-bombs you couldn't do this you could not do it's a lot of freedom of expression to do whatever you wanted to do um I, I remember there was one show um when we were getting to a point where me and Rob were going to have our pay-per-view match it was a house show and something was supposed to happen blah 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 me and Rob was supposed to square off but a bunch of people were supposed to hit the ring so that we never touch. And for some reason, nobody is showing up to make it make sure we don't connect. And there's enough tension going on that there's no, there's nothing but space and opportunity that's between us. Nothing. And I just we're just spread it off. I just dropped my hands and went and rolled out of the ring. And people just got furious. But if I would have done something like that in WCW, it was like, no, we want you to do this, this, and this. When I did that there, that got more heat, and more people wanted to see me and him finally really screw off. From that point on even more, and that was just house shit. That you know, no, no TV, and but it, I had that freedom to just make that split second decision that what I wanted to do, I wanted to do. Roll lathering, good, and he got more heat that way. And they were like, "Man, that was great. We couldn't have planned that any better." And so that's the thing; things happen very organically. Great word I was looking for. Happened All very right. organically in ECW. There, there was a A, B, and C, but D through Z, whatever happened to happen. So I don't think Jerry Lynn was sitting there right, going, thinking, well, with was Steve's blood on the right die on my stomach? Maybe he did. Maybe they, they talked about it. But I think he just did that pretty impromptu, and it worked. All right At that, you know, at, at, at he waved 2,000. That's when he did that. And I think that matched was right back for four hours right so yeah. you know it was just being able to beat that freedom to whatever the art whatever our craft to express it you know we're artists in one sense yeah. the product, we're putting together a live screen story and you know a live in the flesh storyline for you to, to get you into it from that's part of the craft the art that we have you know being able to tell that story so that was a cool thing. I had more freedom to do that in ECW than I had any other before. other than, I picked that back a little bit in TCW uh, for Dusty, his promotion that I worked for. Had a lot of freedom to do whatever I wanted to do there um, without being too idiotic.
1: Right, Yes. Yeah, so I was about to ask a bit about TCW, but another question that I had was, uh, obviously, uh, things come to an end for ECW in early 2001. Uh, only a few months later, WCW has been bought by Vince McMahon. Just from your point of view, how did you feel when you found out that all of a sudden now there was only one game in town?
0: Um, well, kind of like a lot of guys, oh, holy shit, what are going to work at? We're we going to wrestle at. There's Japan maybe. There's, you, know, there's, you know, I went a couple of tours of uh, Germany for yep. um, Sinclair yep. um, over there in Hanover. Uh, you know, you're trying to figure out where am I going to keep wrestling that? What am I going to keep doing if I want to keep practicing my craft and stuff? And you kind of brought up to the point of like, why didn't I have a WWF run? Kind of the same scenario where where Paul Heyman was like, okay, we want to build you a character that people can, could think about, it, and my best comparison is Rob Van Damme became Rob Van Dam between 19... I think he started in 1990 and it took him to around 95-ish, working in Japan, uh, working all over the States, perfecting and seeing who RVD was. And then he got a national spotlight in a sense with ECW to find perfect who RVD was. And when RVD got to WWE, Rob knew who RVD was, and the people, the fans, knew who RVD was. Whole Ethan show, that whole that whole stick, he knew who that was. He knew who that persona was, like Ric Flair. Known who Ric Flair was. Luger. Known who Sting. You know, everybody knew who that person was. Scotty Riggs was Scotty Riggs. I had not developed my own persona because I had gone from being a guy learning his craft, you know, a year and a half into business being put on TV, becoming Girls partner, becoming part of the flock, becoming the guy with the mirror, to becoming the clap, to, you know what I'm saying? So there was never a time that I spent five, six, seven years figuring out who Scotty Griggs was. I mean, Dustin Rhodes took forever to figure out who Dustin Rhodes was. And now he's even more of Gold Dust, which is something that Dustin Rhodes was, and still has that as more of his persona now, after we that character, he knows who gold dust is now as Dustin Rhodes. Yeah. So he was able to meld those two things. So the biggest reason, and Jim Ross basically told me he goes, we don't know who Scotty Riggs is. You're a great worker and stuff, but you don't have anything that we we can't see you playing a role in perfecting it right now. Right. You know? That's like Sandman started off as a surfer dude and then became a cane wielding <laughs> guy. That cane wielding guy got my job in WWE people knew yeah. who that persona was.
1: That's a good so point. That's how,
0: that, that's how that part of my journey in wrestling, you know, did no. not land me in WWE.
1: Okay. Well, I still think it's a shame because I, I still believe that you could have done well uh, in the WWE. At that I time. think in that era, I could have had um, some, some fun with it. But it was still...
0: I remember Terry Funk told me one time. He goes, "If you want to be a wrestler, wrestle. If you want to be an actor, go to Hollywood. You get a SAG card. You get insurance. If you want to be a wrestling actor, maybe that's WWE, WWF." He goes, "Cause that's a that's a completely different beast over there. Where you got to remember scripts. You got to remember. Yeah. You got to know where, where to position yourself to look at a camera for the." production crew wcw we did whatever we wanted the camera found us and wwe it's going to me, you have to find the camera you know you uh-huh. have to find your mark and so i don't think i could have. if i wanted to be an actor i would have went to hollywood you know what i'm saying i didn't want to be an actor putting under a script and having the way a lot of guys explained it to me that even at that time where if you could go do a match at a house show you still had to have an X, Y, Z of what they wanted you to do in the match, even at a house show.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Unless you're a top guy where you get a storyline together because if you're an Austin angle or an Austin Rock working a house show, you can go out there and do whatever you want. Yeah. But if you're you know these matches, they have certain things they want you to do per match to do your thing, you know, you're told what to do. That's kind All of what I it's explained it. And it's that's not the freedom that you really want you know
1: no you might make a
0: great amount of money I'm not happy making a great amount of money it's like hey you know what you do
1: yeah no it's so all all great points there and, and uh, i wanted to bring up uh turnbuckle championship wrestling in 01 and 02 working for dusty uh even becoming the heavyweight champ and tag champ with eric watts tell me about your experience there working for dusty
0: one well, the, of <laughs> the most fun i had really was bearing down to wrestling Barry Windham for almost a year, maybe about a year and a half, where I had the, that angle with him. Even though I wrestled with other guys in between, I had more match with Barry Windham than probably anybody else, and that was a blast, because Barry Windham was in good shape. He wanted to work again. He knew he could work with me and not get hurt. We could have fun. We could do you know good things and just enjoy it. I also had about a three- or four-month angle with Dustin Rhodes. Um, Dusty put Daphne. I rest her soul. Love that girl to death. Uh, she was my valet. She started off being Lodi's valet. Then I wrestled Lodi on a show, and Dusty just saw something with me and her. Even though we had nothing to do during the match, even know I fed her a couple of things, to think, during the match. But he saw something that we worked better together, so he put me and her together. And... So that was, again, a part of being able to perform, but not under a guidance. Here's what I want you to do. Here's your finish. Go do it. He put me, Dusty put me with a lot of his, uh, a guy named Jason Sugarman, big kid, good looking guy. Never really grasped the athletic part of being able to be a wrestler. Good talent. Looked great, but he was like Van Hammer. Looked great, but didn't have a whole athletic ability to him. I mean, Mark Hammer could tell you the same thing. He was not a great athlete. He -hmm. could be a performer, but not an athlete. And that's the same way this kid was. I remember I got him in the ring one time, and he was like, what are we going to do? I'll call it out there, kid. I really had no clue what I'll call it out there kid really meant. Other than I had a lot of veterans tell me that. I did have a clue then. And I could go out there and listen to the crowd from, from, again, 92. This was 10 years in. It took me that far of a point. Where I could go out to a crowd and tell this kid and guide him by the hand, tell him what to do, and have a great match. And we did, we did it a few times. And I said, "I'll call the finish out there." This, well, just the finish is this. I'll call it out there. Don't worry, just listen to me, kid. You'll be fine. And that's the way some guy ten years earlier told me. You know, the guy who trained me told me. And I think probably the best memory I have. I was wrestling Dusty somewhere. I think Lake City, Florida. Actually, two memories real quick. Russell Dusty, and he's in the ring. We're doing a few things, and I finally look. I look at him and said, "Will you quit being Virgil Runner to start being Dusty?" I remember him looking at me like this. Next thing you know, he was flip, flop, fly. I was bouncing, around like a ball off a wall for him. That <laughs> also I sparked a little flame into him in one match. That and he just all of a sudden became Dusty Rhodes. And I was, and I just did nothing but bounce around for him from that moment on. And it was great. It was the most fun I had to match because I was actually the guy that I watched on TV, I was finally in the ring with because he was, Delcy he was older, didn't only want to do certain kind of things. But the yes. minute I said that to I think I stuck a nerve. And that was a blast. <laughs> And then the only other thing that was funny was, um, Bullet Bob Armstrong. I don't know if you know who he is, of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah the Armstrong's patriarch, their father. Yeah. We were wrestling him and there was a match. And again, he's much older than me. We we're only doing so much, but he went to headbutt me. And instead of not being a nice, easy headbutt, he headbutted me. We both went kaboom down to our butts and we're sitting at each other. He knocked himself silly as much as he knocked me silly. I remember we're just sitting there. I can remember staring at each other in the ring. I'm like, you okay? He's like, are you okay? I think I am, I think I am too let's go home small package me okay so I went I was, you know, I was a bad guy I went to pick him up when we small package me one, two, three. the bullet got the win you know he went out and did his strut he cut to me in and I said damn I'm sorry about that we haven't knocked us close so it, yeah, didn't we were both we were there but those are two best memories I have there of, of Dustin and the bullet and again working Barry working a great program with Dustin uh, and so I mean there were guys that go out there we didn't have to say a word to each other we just went out to the ring knew knew the point we wanted to get to, we just worked with each other. And that, when you get to do that, that's when you're having a blast. It really is.
1: That's very cool. Thank you so much for sharing. And and, and Scotty, we're getting very close to the end of the interview here. Again, I appreciate uh, your time so much. Uh, I know it's getting a little late there for you now. I was
0: waiting for you to go, man, I forgot to press record.
1: (laughs) No, trust me, uh, that that, that, that would be an absolute travesty. So um, uh, getting to the tail end here, Scotty. Uh, you work at Legends of the Arena show in my research, uh, and that was, I believe, your last match in 2009. Uh, what led to your retirement from pro wrestling?
0: I basically had um, I fractured my elbow. I don't know if you can see, oh, wow, yeah, kind of a little lump there. My arms about two inches shorter than in the other. I fractured that on the bone, working a show, and had three shoulder three surgeries on it where he zipped me from here to here filleted yeah. me like a fish. Put the bone back together, had two steel plates, twenty seven screws at one point in there. I still have five or six in there still now. And basically that match at Legends of the Arena, I've been I fractured it was oh seven when I fractured shoulder that was oh nine. So been almost two years of I had three surgeries in 20 months. So I couldn't work out. I've lost a lot of weight, been away from everything, and there wasn't a fan there who knew who the heck I was. Jimmy Dundee did his best to to rip me of being an American male. Some of the fans went, yeah, that's who that guy is. And Rhino couldn't do anything because he was with TNA. So they didn't want Rhino to do anything. Right. So it was like that three-way dance we did was really a dance. Where it was a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and let's get out of there. And that was Francine's thing. Yeah, And I told her, I said, I'm really not comfortable really working. I look like crap. She's like, I can't have a show without having to clap.
1: <laughs>
0: was the way she put it to me. I said, sweet, let's go in there. And Terry Funk was there and asked Terry. I said, Terry, I said, Terry, I said, Terry, I said, Terry I just had these surgeries. What kind of idea can you give us some ideas of how to work around the injury and uh, a little bit, maybe a spot or something to come up with? And he sat down with us and said that he could only do, you know, Rhino could only do so much. You and, you can only do so much physically. Jamie's probably the only one that could be the real idiot in the ring. So let's have Jamie be the idiot in the ring. And we were able to put something together thanks to Terry's advice of how to do something. So, again, we went to the, the right guy to, you know, to give us the advice we needed. That was, I've had my Art Andersons, I've had my Paul Heymans, and my final last good piece of advice was from Terry Taylor. <laughs> Not Terry Terry, Terry Funk. Good, <laughs> Terry Taylor. What. what in the wide, wide world? Sports gone. Holy shit! <laughs> you can go ahead and
1: edit that out. <laughs> Not a problem, Brad. Not a problem. Um. Last question here before we get to the final segment of the show here, Scotty. How do you hope to be remembered for your time in pro wrestling?
0: Wow. That's a good one. I really have no clue of how I want to be remembered, just as a wrestler. I went there and had and had wrestling matches and told stories through his wrestling matches. I mean, again, I I, I never had the persona as a Ric Flair, but I wasn't uh, a George South either. You know what I'm saying? That's an A to an Z part of the spectrum. Ric Flair is an A. George South is he's still George South, a well-known wrestler, but he's still. You know, there's two parts of the spectrum. I think I'm somewhere in the middle. I was just a great wrestler who came apart or came to be a part of the business at the right time. And I cool. got there wrestling. We went from just being wrestling to all of a sudden the live wrestling Monday Night Wars. That's the best. That's the, the biggest part people remember me from is at Nitros and ECW. There was all those those three companies facing off against each other. I said, to be the part of the right time of the business. Yeah that's, yeah, that's the best answer I can have for you.
1: That's cool. You know, that's that's the time period that I became a wrestling fan. A lot of people became wrestling fans because of that. I kind of wish
0: I would have been, I kind of wish I would have been born 10 years earlier so I could have gone through the territory phase a little better. I would have loved, I mean, the, the most fun I had wrestling was when I was in, in USWA. Like I said, Saturday mornings, we had Memphis TV in Memphis. Saturday night, we drove 200 miles to Nashville, Tennessee. Drove back that same night. Um, Sundays were, were, were off most of time. Monday was Memphis. Tuesday was uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Wednesday was Evansville, Indiana. Thursday, Friday was Spocktown. Started all over again on Saturday Saturday morning. And each week, you had to re- wrestle those four same towns. So we had the same crowds there. You might wrestle the same guy three weeks in a row. So you got to have three different matches, basically. Tell three different stories. And that was so much fun to me. I could go out there and create stuff guy I was working with. Sometimes we could, we could maybe give, you know, get some ideas together. Sometimes we couldn't. In Nashville, we were on two opposite sides of the, the, the arena. Never had a chance to chat, to chat or anything. The first time I was there, I wrestled a guy named Jim Dotson, who became a big security guard for WWE. Oh, yeah. It was like security. I wrestled him when he had hair. And I remember I got in the ring with him one time, and he was all stiff as a board. I'm like, dude, what am I supposed to do with this? I not even had a chance to speak, and he's stiff as a board. And it's like it was a real brawl. And I remember I pulled his hair out. I gave him a little tug to go down. And he wouldn't go down. I yanked his head to go down. And he's like, he got all mad. I pulled his hair. I'm like, dude, you're not working with me. And I'm telling him this in the ring. I'm like, you're not working with me. Of course, I'm going to pull you around. You're pulling me around. <laughs> so, that again, I had so much fun. And that, my tour Japan, where were three weeks over there in a foreign land. No English except for in Tokyo and Sapporo. Um, I'm trying to think, maybe it was another part of that trip, but most of the smaller cities, no English. But the Japanese fans respected wrestling so much. It was a blast going up there and wrestling. El Samurai is a guy who wrestled over there the first time. Spoke new no English, chain smoked right in the back, cigarette smoking words. Just sitting there, chain smoking. He puts on a mask, and just became this just completely different animal. I mean, we went out there, locked up this. Next thing you know, he tossed me out of the ring, and we were fighting. And then We are like the second match in the show. We were fighting in the crowd, throwing chairs in each other. I'm like, throw a chair. I'm like, motherfucker. I threw a chair back at him, back and forth, back and forth. Finally, I cut him off, throw him back in the ring. I'm getting blown up out there. He's sitting there out there smoking. You know, he, he's not even winded. I'm sitting there trying to catch my breath. <laughs> I put him in my rear chin lock and also the fans start clapping because we went from, you know, insanity to a wrestling move. And that's what the fans don't have was a wrestling move. And when I did that, um, Ricky Choshu, uh, I think it was the was booker, came up to me that night and said, you go do a wrestling move. Very good. You, you do well on this tour. And Scott Norton was like, dude, do you know who that was? I said, I think. He was yeah. That's the boss. That's the head guy. <laughs> if him to come up to you, a first time guy gene, and say you because you got the wrestling hold, you did good. He goes, that's a lie. He goes, it took him six months to speak to me. And Scott was a big star over there. I guess that time has changed a little bit for him to probably do that. Yep. But to me, that was like, wow, that's the rush that I wanted to get. You know, that's that's the, you know, if wrestling was a drug. You know, give me a, you know, the 100s of it and tap me into it. Cause that <laughs> you can't get that type of rush anywhere else doing any other thing. You really can't. If, very you're an actor, cool. if you're an actor, you get 100 takes to get it right
1: from different angles. Yeah. If you're a pro actor, you have one. So very cool. Very well said, Scotty. And um... thank you. <laughs> Awesome stuff. Uh, it's time to get to our final segment of the show here, <laughs> Learning about your favorite things. It's supposed to be a quick fire question for a quick fire answer. But if you want to elaborate on anything, that's cool as well. The first three about wrestling. Scotty Riggs, who is your favorite pro wrestler of all time?
0: Well, Ricky Steamboat, Rick Flair, tie. Very good answers. Uh, I grew up pe- them wrestling each other.
1: So that was probably why. That's, that's, that's probably a a good reason. Absolutely. And uh, if you could pick one guy or opponent over the years that you said, that's my favorite opponent, my favorite person to work with, who would you pick? RBD. Excellent. Uh, If you could mention one match from your whole career, if someone asked you, you know, uh, show me your favorite match that you performed in in your career, what, what would that be? Wow. Um,
0: Probably Tommy Dreamer and <laughs> Gimme give, give me one second. Um it's all right. Tommy Dreamer, Jerry Lynn versus me and Steve Carino in Peoria, Illinois, ECW.
1: We had cool. a blast. Awesome. Uh getting away from wrestling now. Scotty, do you have a favorite book? Penthouse. <laughs> Excellent. Uh do you have a favorite TV show? Uh, the walking dead awesome me too um do you have a favorite film
0: wow um halloween 1978
1: excellent uh do you have a favorite musical artist or band kiss excellent uh moving away from the arts now what's your favorite food sushi nice uh do you have a favorite place to eat on the road Cracker Barrel. Excellent. Uh, three to go. Uh, it's supposed to be your favorite alcoholic beverage, but if you don't drink, just your favorite beverage in general.
0: Johnny Walker Blue.
1: Excellent. Uh, second last one here, Scotty. Uh, favorite female body part. You see a good looking lady. Where will Scotty Riggs' eyes go to first? Boobs. Excellent. And the last one here, Scotty Riggs, what is your favorite curse word? Fuck. excellent very well done Scotty Riggs I want to thank you so much for your time on the show here today this has meant a lot to me because you know I I was 12 years old when I first saw you on television and and played you in the video well I am 55 now and you can tell the
0: gray in the beard absolutely I'm
1: starting to get it too now so (laughs) but you know It's been very nice uh, having the opportunity to to meet you and talk to you about your career. So uh, honestly, I I, I really want to thank you for your time again.
0: Dude, I had a blast. Like I said, a lot of times you twerk some memories for me that are very cool to always kind of pull out of there that I haven't had, you know, anybody tug at a long time. So uh, dude, just much fun for me.
1: Thank you so much, Scotty. I really appreciate it. And, And thank all of you out there for joining us here for the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WCWA Network. I'm California. This is my new friend, Scotty Riggs, and we will see you down the road. Thank you.